You're listening to a Reverend Bible Talk, a podcast that's not your grandma's Bible study, unless your grandma happens to be really, really cool. Listener discretion is advised if you object to bad words, women preachers, or terrible puns. Welcome to Irreverent Bible Talk. I'm Jenny. I'm an ordained Lutheran pastor, but I also have tattoos. And I'm Josh, and I have a bachelor's degree in broadcasting and religion. So look at that, Mom and Dad. Adding that second major wasn't a big mistake. On this episode, we are tackling the book of Jonah and why it is the funniest book in the Bible. So grab a beer, a mocktail, a cup of coffee, or your beverage of choice, and join us as we explore how the Bible is more complicated and more fascinating than you might think. So Josh, as we uh, jump into the book of Jonah, like diving straight into a giant fish's open mouth, what are you drinking today? You know me, I'm just, I'm having a, a nice cup of cocoa. Mmm. Is it chilly there where you are? Yeah, you know, it's about a little bit warmer today, so we had a snowstorm a few days ago. I know that's going to date the episode, but everything's melting today, and it's just kind of that wet feeling. So I I decided cocoa today. I love that. Granted, it's mixed Uh, a little bit, but how about yourself? uh, I am drinking not an IPA from California, because I was like, are we going to do that every single episode? No, this time I'm drinking an amber ale, and it is actually from more of your part of the country. It is from Michigan. Ooh, Michigan makes some good beer. I'm not going to lie. It's good. I like it. So to start out today, I thought we could sort of summarize the story of Jonah because I truly find it hilarious. And if you haven't read the book of Jonah recently, you might not remember a whole lot of it. Although if you do remember anything about it, you probably remember that whale or big fish that swallows Jonah. Let's uh, let's get to the fish, to the whale. Fish whale. It's ambiguous. We'll get into that. So the story of Jonah goes like this. Jonah is called by God to go to the city of Nineveh. He says, no fucking thank you, and runs in the opposite direction. He gets on a boat. The boat ends up in a big storm, and the sailors are terrified, and they're trying to figure out which of us has pissed off which god that is causing this boat to basically be about to sink. And Jonah says, it's me. I'm What's the Taylor Swift song right now? Hi, it's I'm the problem. It's me. That's Jonah. You should throw me overboard. And the sailors do. They throw Jonah overboard and immediately like the storm goes away. They're fine. Jonah gets swallowed by a big old fish and or whale. We'll talk about it. After three days, the fish spits Jonah back up on dry land. And Jonah, I guess, has learned his lesson because he does actually go to Nineveh. What God wants Jonah to do is to tell the people of Nineveh that they need to repent for their various sins. Jonah doesn't really want to do this, and we'll get into the reason why, but he does. He goes to Nineveh, he walks into the city and tells people to repent, and then he walks a little further and tells people to repent, and then he walks a little further, and they actually do, which like never happens in the Bible. But they actually listen to this prophet. The whole city repents, including the animals. And then Jonah posts up outside the city and basically has like an epic temper tantrum. He is in a full sulk. 
because he knows that the Ninevites have repented and he knows that God is merciful and he doesn't want God to forgive the Ninevites. So God, again, this story just gets better and better. I love it so much. So then God appoints a bush and the bush grows up over Jonah and gives him shade from the heat of the sun. And Jonah's like, this is great. I love it. And then God appoints a worm, amazing, to gnaw on the roots of the bush and make it wither. And so it withers and then Jonah doesn't have shade anymore. And then God comes to Jonah with this object lesson and says, is it right for you to be angry about this bush that was giving you shade and then it withered? And Jonah says, and this is a quote, yes, angry enough to die. A lot of this summary is sort of exaggerated, but that is actually what Jonah says. Yes, angry enough to die. Then God hits Jonah with another question, and it is such a great question that it ends the whole book. I mean, just complete mic drop. God says, you're angry about this bush, which you didn't make grow and you didn't make wither. So shouldn't I care about the city of Nineveh, which is this huge city with all of these people and all of these animals? And that's where the book ends, is on that question. There's no answer. So it's, it's a delight. Start to finish, love the book of Jonah. What did you think? Because I know you, uh, you reread it to kind of prep for today. You know, I think the first thing that like stuck out to me is I loved it because it was so short and just <laughs> going to Christian school, preschool through eighth grade, like I am totally about that. Let's, uh, let's keep these verses short and let's keep things moving along. Second, like, man, I'm trying to think of a polite way to put this, but Jonah's kind of a little... A shit? Yeah, I was going to say bitch, but we'll go with, we'll go with one of those. Maybe we'll just pop in a censor there. But he did not edit it out. He watched cartoons and played video games. But, like, hey, I want you to do this. Ugh, I don't want to go. I don't want to do this. I don't like those people. Yeah, Jonah is so absurd in this book. Like, it is just that classic, like, you want me to do this, so I am just going to do the exact opposite, because why would I do what you want me to do? And of course, neither of us would know anything about that kind of urge. No, no, not that we play video strategy games together where Jenny says, hey, I need, we need to do this. And then I go off and do something completely opposite and not helpful to the team at all. Well, now I'm not going to do that. It's, it's really that meme, like, well, now I don't want to. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, same. The best way to get me not to do something is to tell me to do it. So I relate. Yeah, I relate, but I just can't get over like how much of a brat he's being the whole time. Like, I don't want to do this. Okay, fine, I'll do it. But wh why are they? But I'm not going to be happy about it. Yeah, and then they're going to actually do what I'm telling them to, and I'm going to be pissed off about that. Like that—that's it's—it's really crazy to me. Like, I don't know why I didn't remember this book from growing up, but it's everybody knows the the story of Jonah getting eaten by the whale because he didn't listen. But like, we don't really focus much on that. At the end, like the people were like, okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. We, we're sorry, God, we'll, we'll fix our ways. And then he's like, no, I don't like these people. Like, why, why should they be forgiven? Exactly. And we'll get into, I mean, there's, there is some like incredibly powerful theology in this book. I mean, like it, it really has a, a fantastic message. But 
like you said, it's it's ridiculous. It's over the top in so many ways. And I think the fact that we remember like Jonah and the whale, honestly, I think that has more to do with Pinocchio than anything else. And of course, I'm talking about the animated Pinocchio from back in the day, because there's definitely no other version of that that Disney has made. But Pinocchio gets swallowed by, is it Monstro in the movie? I'm actually going to look it up right now. I was thinking about this. My husband and I, because we live in California and because he is like a kid who grew up in California, we've gone to Disneyland many times. And when we were at Disneyland, this was years ago, we went on the Pinocchio ride. And if you go on the ride, it's one of these old school dark rides where you're just in a little car and it's on a track and you're kind of going through these scenes. But at one point, you do go into the mouth of the whale and it's, it's scary, you know, on a like little kid level. And we happened to be like we were in our seats and the people like right in front of us or right behind us. It was a mom and a really little kid who was, I don't know, four. And when we got to the whale, this little kid like turned to his mom and was like, we be done now, please. And it was like, so cute. We be done now, please. This part's scary. And that's kind of a good quote for like this whole this whole story of Jonah too, like, c- can we be done now? <laughs> like, cause yeah, that whole time he's like, okay, is, is, am I done? Are we doing this? Okay. Is it over? Oh, why is it not over? Okay. It's over. Why? <laughs> yes. I feel like Jonah is got more like bratty teenager energy, but, uh, for sure. So we've got the whale in Hebrew. The word is fish. So that's why I keep saying whale and or fish. It's literally a giant fish, but again, maybe because of Pinocchio or maybe just because of later tradition, we often think of Jonah and the whale. But anyway, some kind of sea creature. I think that's the part of the story that many people will remember from, you know, maybe back in Sunday school once upon a time. But I honestly think that the last two chapters of the book, the later part of the book is both really funny and really meaningful at the same time. And so I wanted to kind of dive into this book a little more so that we could appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. It really is. It's just got that quick story that's just proves the point throughout it. Like, no, we need to do this. And then that whole like, you didn't like build this city. Like, you don't know these people. Like, why are you so grumpy about trying to save them? Right. And I think as a society, we, we look, we do that a lot. Um, sports fans, fans of comic books are really like that. Like, well, how dare somebody get cast in this role? How dare somebody from this team win? You d- you didn't do anything for this. Like, why are you so <laughs> upset about it? Right. Like, it literally has nothing to do with you. And I'm guilty of that as well. Like, we all do it. Like, when Henry Cavill wasn't, like, announced it, like, yeah, we're going to do that second Superman movie. Like, I was grumpy. And I think I vented to you and your husband quite a bit about that. <laughs> uh, yes, Josh, known uh, Henry Cavill fan. He's just amazing in every role he has, but that's a whole different story for another day. That's a that's a different podcast. That's your Henry Cavill fan podcast. Exactly. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right that there's a lot of just sort of human nature on display in Jonah. I think there's also, you know, it kind of takes on deeper meaning when you have a little bit of that historical context, because this is not just Jonah is sent to any old city. Like the fact that Jonah is sent to Nineveh 
is pretty important to like why he's so mad about it. So incoming like history dump. Nineveh was one of the major cities of the Assyrian Empire. And actually, eventually it became the capital of the Assyrian Empire. But even before it was the capital, it was it was a major city. It was, a you know, a metropolitan kind of place. And the Assyrian Empire, from the perspective of the Hebrew Bible and, and the people of the Old Testament, they were the bad guys. The Assyrian Empire was one of the succession of empires that kept conquering the people of Israel. And actually, Assyria is the first sort of big imperial threat uh, that the Israelites have to deal with. There was this united kingdom with like King David and King Solomon, and they kind of brought all the tribes together and they had this kingdom. And then it ends up splitting in half. So you have a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. And that northern kingdom, Israel, gets just wiped off the map by the Assyrians. They take a lot of people into exile. They lay siege to the capital city of the northern kingdom. Complete destruction. And so Assyria is the enemy in a really like significant way. This is not just, oh, it's it's our neighbors and we don't like our neighbors. It's like, no, these are the people who have like conquered and killed us. And within the context of the story, God is saying, go to Nineveh, go to that city and tell them to repent. And Jonah's like, fuck no, I don't want them to repent. I don't want them to to see God being merciful. I want them to get punished. Jonah really wants the the fire and brimstone wrath of God to come down on these folks. So there there is a really kind of profound reason for Jonah's hissy fit, even though the way it's presented is like pretty comical and over the top. It, it definitely is. Looking back, I haven't read the Bible front to back in a long time. So you kind of forget about that Nineveh was basically the capital of this invading nation that was taking over all this land that was part of your kingdom originally. I say originally, that's a whole different political context, but I get why he said, I'm not doing that. Why would I want to help this person? Why would I want to help these people? Exactly. It's just a common thing that we see every day. You see somebody that has a different political view than you, somebody that has a different religious point of view. Oh, why do I want to help that person? Or they're not good people. Why Why are they getting the benefit here? Right. And this is something that, you know, I talk about when I do Bible studies in my churches. I think as Americans, we have a hard time kind of connecting with the experience of being conquered, right? Because those of us who are descended from European colonizers and have lived in the United States all our lives have never faced an invading army, an invading empire. And the very few times that it has happened in the United States would be like the attack on Pearl Harbor and 9-11. And then we were like, well, now we are going to kill everybody we can find that might be tangentially connected to this. But I think about throughout history, there are people who have experienced like literally being conquered and having cities destroyed, having lives destroyed, having cultures destroyed. And yeah, you would be pissed. You know, you wouldn't want 
I don't want to speak for everyone, but I think a lot of people wouldn't want them to receive mercy. They would want them to be punished for doing truly, you know, horrible things in many cases. And I think that's something that we have a harder time connecting to. And so we think about like, oh, well, it's like the rival sports team. Kind of. I know some sports fans who get way, way too invested. I was one of yeah. those people. Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. Not a sports person. I just don't get it. I have to admit. You know, as a recovering sportsaholic, it would ruin my whole day. My team that I cheered for, I'm not going to name names. They would lose a football game that they shouldn't have. And my whole day was garbage. And that doesn't make sense, but it's how a lot of us think. Like, it's those little things, that rival team, those, oh, those people from that other state. <laughs> and then, uh, then God is asking you, like, you're mad about the football team, which you had nothing to do with. Shouldn't I care about all of these bigger issues? Yeah, like, shouldn't I still get them home safely? Why are you upset? Mm-hmm. I also really like going back to the comical aspect, something maybe a little more lighthearted, that when they're on the boat, in my crazy imagination, I just imagine this, this jolly folk of sailors out sailing on the water and like this big storm hits and Jonah is just like that comically sleeping character. Like, hey, wake up. We're going to sink. Huh? What? And then he's like, yeah, uh, no, no, this, this is my fault. Uh, God's mad at me. Just, uh, you know what? Throw me overboard. What do we do? What do we do? No, just, just, just throw me overboard. And then they finally mm -hmm. do. And it's like instantly like, okay, well, they're safe now. Like, right. how can you imagine from like their point of view, like what just happened? The fear yeah. they had to be feeling. Yeah, the absolute, absolute fear. And they, they're all like praying to their own gods and trying to figure out like, which one of all of the gods that we all believe in is this mad at us? And Jonah's like, oh, it's me. It's the Lord God. And Jonah even says, I worship the Lord who made the sea and the dry land. So, like, I think that's not coincidental that that's kind of how God is identified there. And the sailors are like, you idiot. We're all going to die because of you. And still, like, he was just begrudging still at that point. Like, yeah, that's that's my fault. I, you know, I, I'm not I'm not I'm not listening. You know, just just throw me overboard. <laughs> And then gets ate by the fish. It's finally like, okay, God, I'm sorry. You're right. You asked me to do something. I should do it. And then three days later, the whale spits him out. And then he's just sitting on the shore is how I see it. Just like with his arms crossed and just like, fine. I guess I'm going to Nineveh. Yeah, he seems throughout the book very pouty. Like he's clearly in a bad mood just from beginning to end. Well, and maybe you can answer this, Jenny. I, I was trying to look back in some previous chapters, like, where is Jonah on this succession line? Like, why is he important? Like, did I miss that reading in the, in Obadiah? <laughs> you know, I did, I did look this up when I was doing my, my prep for the episode. The book of Jonah is considered one of the 12 minor prophets in the Hebrew Bible. So, when you look at prophetic books, you have the, the big ones, and I don't mean like in terms of importance necessarily, but length. So the big prophet books are like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and then there are all these little books, Micah, Amos, and Jonah is included with those. They're called the minor prophets. So the book of Jonah is, is lumped in with those other prophetic writings, 
and there is one very brief mention of a prophet named Jonah who shows up in uh, 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. And it is literally just not even a full verse. It's half a verse of the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai, who was working as a prophet during the reign of Jeroboam II. So it's in the middle of this list of all these kings, and it's like, this king did what was right in the sight of the Lord, this king did what was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and it just kind of is going through this like line of succession. But if you kind of look at the bigger picture within the Hebrew Bible, God is working sometimes through kings or working with kings. Many of the kings are, you know, anointed to lead, but then God is also always working through prophets because oftentimes the kings are not being faithful. And so God is lifting up prophets who are delivering these messages and often speaking truth to power and then getting into trouble because kings don't like it when prophets speak truth to power. And so it, it seems that Jonah is one of these prophets that's lifted up by God. But outside of just the story in the book of Jonah, we don't actually have a whole lot of information about him. Just this this very brief reference. And to me, as a takeaway from this, um, kind of where you're at, that Jonah, he's important to the story. But I think the key to the story of Jonah is that Nineveh was instantly like, no, you're right. We need to make right with the Lord. The king yeah. instantly tore his robe and put on a sackcloth and like repented and then like no one was eating and drinking like everybody was fasting everybody was like wearing rags at that point like nope we have gotten too much pride we have too much vanity we need to just focus on what's important yeah and again it's kind of both very serious and very comical at the same time the comical side of it is how immediately this happens right that like you said the king is like okay immediate 180 Everybody in the city is going to repent, even the animals, right? It's like all the people are going to fast and also all of their like livestock are going to fast, which like, I don't know how you tell a cow or a goat that it's not going to eat today because that just seems wild. So again, it's like over the top. But in the context of the Bible more generally, you know, we see over and over and over again, people being called to repent and they usually don't, or they really drag their feet, and it's a big mess. And so the contrast is really striking. Even Jonah in the first chapter, when the storm kicks up, Jonah doesn't immediately turn around and repent. It takes him a little while to admit, like, oh yeah, I'm the reason that we're all going to sink. And then he's in the fish for three days, and then he's like, God, I'm sorry, I should have listened to you. And then the fish like spits him back up on dry land. But in Nineveh, yeah, it's instant, instant repentance, instant change of behavior, which is important. It's very contrast to what Jonah himself has experienced. He was this prophet. He was this holy person. And then, no, I'm not, I don't want to go to them. They're bad people. God, you'll just forgive them anyway. And then once he finally does get there, they're instantly like, you know what? You're right. We're not living accordingly. We need to be better. We need to fix this. And it's just yeah. that instant, like, hey, we're going to do what we're supposed to. While Jonah was supposed to be this prophet and was just throwing a fit about it. Mm -hmm. And that's really what, like, stood out to me in this whole story is just, like, that quick change. 
Yeah, and the contrast. I also really like this is kind of continuing on the on the same theme. What Jonah says, and if you're like looking at this at home, this is the beginning of chapter four after the city has repented and Jonah is having his temper tantrum outside of the city. Jonah prays and says to God, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. That language, right, of like God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, like that is a refrain, that's a a formula in the Hebrew Bible to talk about God. And it's usually considered a good thing, right? Like God is gracious and merciful, that's good. And for Jonah to use that same phrase but he's mad about it, I think is very telling. He's mad that God is merciful. And just the fact, too, that he's like, well, I said this was going to happen. Just kill me. I have no other purpose. I've done everything that you wanted me to. What else can I do? Mm -hmm. Like, it just seems like, well, one, it's an overreaction. And two, it's just, it's very weird. It's a weird phrase. It's, all of it's just kind of odd. Yeah. And the, the kind of dynamic of God talking to Jonah here, it really kind of reminds me of a parent talking to a toddler that's like having a temper tantrum because God's like, is it right for you to be angry? (laughs) Like, it makes me think of, I don't remember if it was like a blog or whatever, but why my kid is crying. And it's like, my toddler is crying because they asked for crackers and I gave them crackers. And like, now they're having a meltdown. That's kind of how God seems to be addressing Jonah. Like, really, dude? really? You're mad about this? You're mad that I'm gracious and merciful? And Jonah's like, yes, angry enough to die. I I can't even explain it. Like just how weird that is. Like, (laughs) like just reading that, like I forgot about like him throwing the fit after afterwards. Like, hey, this is good news. This is like the king of Nineveh is like, you know what? You're right. We're going to recognize that we are at fault with God which probably means they're not going to necessarily take your land from you anymore. Like the Ninevites aren't going to go slaughter and pillage, that they're recognizing your God, that you are all essentially on like the same team at this point. And he's just grumpy about it. And this is why I, I say Jonah is the funniest book of the Bible, because it uses exaggeration and it uses irony and like makes everything so over the top to get across, I think, a very important point of like, who is God and what do we expect from God when it comes to, you know, mercy and forgiveness? But it communicates it in such a funny way that is, I think, really, really delightful. I know that we are probably nearing our time here, but do you have any sort of closing thoughts that you wanted to hit on? Well, I think kind of what you just said a little bit kind of reminds me of the parable about working in the vineyards, how the last shall be first, the first shall be last. Why are these people getting the same pay as we got? We were here all day. Yes. But that's what Um, you agreed to. I love that you brought that up. This is my husband, Steve. This is like one of his favorite parables. So he's going to be so jazzed that you brought this up. Yeah. So the parable is the 
landlord hires workers at the beginning of the day and says, I'm going to pay you this wage for the day. And they say, "Okay," And then he goes back multiple times throughout the day and keeps hiring people and gives everyone the full day's wage, even if they only worked for like an hour. And the people who worked at the beginning from the beginning of the day are mad that they haven't gotten more. And it's that same kind of question of like, I've treated you fairly. I've given you what we agreed. Why are you angry that I'm generous with others? And I think that is very much the same kind of question that Jonah ends with of like, why are you angry if God is merciful? Why are you angry if God is generous? And it's really, I think, an important question for us to ask ourselves. Yeah, it's definitely something we need to be self-aware about and look at because it is. We do feel that way. We can work hard at a job or a performance or something, and we've put a lot of work into it. And then somebody just can naturally have this ability or talent. And instead of celebrating the fact that, yeah, okay, we're working together, instantly we're just like, oh, they have it so easy. Why, why do they have it better than I do? And then God talking, why wouldn't I care about this city of over 120,000? I mean, this book just ends with such an amazing, I mean, this like rhetorical question that you are left with as the reader. God says, shouldn't I care about Nineveh? this great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons and also many animals. And I think that that is such an important addition because it it's such a reminder that not only do we as as human beings tend to focus on ourselves or our group, our clan or whatever, but we also just tend to be very anthropocentric and God is saying, "I don't just care about you. I also care about the animals. I also care about the plants." right? The bush. In this story, a, a bush is appointed to serve a purpose for God, and then a worm is appointed to serve a purpose for God. And so God's compassion is so much broader than we want to give credit for, that God not only cares about the people, but also cares about the rest of the natural world, which kind of goes back to our conversations about the creation stories, right? That God looks at all of creation and says, like, this is good. All of it is kind of within God's concern. Well, thank you, Josh, for another great conversation. Thank you, everybody, for listening. As always, we'll be back with more fun Bible stories in the next episode, and we hope that you'll tune in. If you have any questions, check out the description of this episode. Send us your comments, your suggestions, or just something that you're like, hey, could you, could you talk about this? This has always confused me. We'd love to hear from Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Until next time. Thanks for listening to A Reverend Bible Talk. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or find us at soundcloud.com slash irreverentbible. And remember, just like Balaam and his donkey learned, sometimes even God communicates through a talking ass.